Chapter Eleven of the Italian. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Italian by Anne Radcliffe, read by Gary Day. Section Eleven, Chapter Eleven. Bring roses, violets, and the cold snowdrop, beautiful in tears, to strew the pathway of our saintly sister. A few devotees only had begun to ascend the mountain, and Vivaldi kept aloof even from these, pursuing a lonely track, for his thoughtful mind desired solitude. The early breeze sighing among the foliage that waved high over the path, and the hollow dashing of distant waters, he listened to with complacency, for these were sounds which soothed yet promoted his melancholy mood and he sometimes rested to gaze upon the scenery around him, for this too was in harmony with the temper of his mind. Disappointment had subdued the wilder energy of the passions, and produced a solemn and lofty state of feeling. He viewed with pleasing sadness the dark rocks and precipices, the gloomy mountains and vast solitudes that spread around him. Nor was the convent he was approaching a less sacred feature of the scene, as its grey walks and pinnacles appeared beyond the dusky groves. "'Ah! if it should enclose her!' said Vivaldi, as he caught a first glimpse of its hall. "'Vain hope! I will not invite your illusions again. I will not expose myself to the agonies of new disappointment. I will search, but not expect. Yet, if she should be there—' Having reached the gates of the convent, he passed with hasty steps into the court, where his emotion increased as he paused a moment and looked around its silent cloisters. The porter only appeared, when Vivaldi, fearful lest he should perceive him not to be a pilgrim, drew his hood over his face, and, gathering up his garments still closer in his folded arms, passed on without speaking, though he knew not which of the avenues before him led to the shrine. He advanced, however, towards the church, a stately edifice, detached, and at some little distance, from the other parts of the convent. Its highly vaulted aisles, extending in twilight perspective, where a monk or a pilgrim only now and then crossed, whose dark figures, passing without sound, vanished like shadows. The universal stillness of the place, the gleam of the tapers from the high altar, and of lamps which gave a gloomy pomp to every shrine in the church. All these circumstances conspired to impress a sacred awe upon his heart. He followed some devotees through a side aisle to a court that was overhung by a tremendous rock in which was a cave containing the shrine of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. This court was enclosed by the rock and by the choir of the church, except that to the south a small opening led the eye to a glimpse of the landscape below, which, seen beyond the dark jaws of the cliff, appeared free and light and gaily coloured, melting away into the blue and distant mountains. Vivaldi entered the cave, where, enclosed within a filigree screen of gold, lay the image of the saint, decorated with flowers and lighted up by innumerable lamps and tapers. The steps of the shrine were thronged with kneeling pilgrims, and Vivaldi, to avoid singularity, kneeled also, 
till a high peal of the organ at a distance, and the deep voices of choristers announced that the first mass was begun. He left the cave, and returning into the church, loitered at an extremity of the aisles, where he listened a while to the solemn harmony pealing along the roofs, and softening away in distance. It was such full and entrancing music as frequently swells in the high festivals of the Sicilian church, and is adapted to inspire that sublime enthusiasm which sometimes elevates its disciples. Vivaldi, unable to endure long the excess of feeling which this harmony awakened, was leaving the church when suddenly it ceased, and the tolling of a bell sounded in its stead. This seemed to be the knell of death, and it occurred to him that a dying person was approaching to receive the last sacrament, when he heard remotely a warbling of female voices, mingling with the deeper tones of the monks, and with the hollow note of the bell, as it struck at intervals. So sweetly, so plaintively did the strain grow on the air, that those who listened, as well as those who sung, were touched with sorrow, and seemed equally to mourn for a departing friend. Vivaldi hastened to the choir, the pavement of which was strewn with palm branches and fresh flowers. A pall of black velvet lay upon the steps of the altar, where several priests were silently attending. Everywhere appeared the ensigns of solemn pomp and ceremony, and in every countenance the stillness and observance of expectation. Meanwhile the sounds drew nearer, and Vivaldi perceived a procession of nuns approaching from a distant aisle. As they advanced, he distinguished the Lady Abbess, leading the train dressed in her pontifical robes, with the mitre on her head, and well he marked her stately step, moving in time to the slow minstrelsy, and the air of proud yet graceful dignity with which she characterised herself. Then followed the nuns according to their several orders, and last came the novices, carrying lighted tapers, and surrounded by other nuns, who were distinguished by a particular habit. Having reached a part of the church appropriated for their reception, they arranged themselves in order. Vivaldi, with a palpitating heart, inquired the occasion of this ceremony, and was told that a nun was going to be professed. "'You are informed, no doubt, brother,' added the prior, who gave him this intelligence, "'that on the morning of our high festival, Our Lady's Day, it is usual for such as devote themselves to heaven to receive the veil. Stand by a while, and you will see the ceremony. What is the name of the novice who is now to receive it? said Vivaldi, in a voice whose tremulous accents betrayed his emotion. The friar glanced an eye of scrutiny upon him, as he replied, I know not her name, but if you will step a little this way, I will point her out to you. Vivaldi, drawing his hood over his face, obeyed in silence. "'It is she on the right of the abbess,' said the stranger, "'who leans on the arm of a nun. "'She is covered with a white veil, "'and is taller than her companions.' Vivaldi observed her with a fearful eye, and though he did not recognise the person of Elena, yet whether it was that his fancy was possessed with her image, or that there was truth in his surmise, he thought he perceived a resemblance of her. He inquired how long the novice had resided in the convent and many other particulars, to which the stranger either could not or dared not reply. With what anxious solicitude did Vivaldi endeavour to look through the veils of the several nuns in search of Elena? 
whom he believed the barbarous policy of his mother might already have devoted to the cloister. With a solicitude still stronger, he tried to catch a glimpse of the features of the novices. But their faces were shaded by hoods, and their white veils, though thrown half back, were disposed in such artful folds that they concealed them from observation as effectually as did the pendant lawn the features of the nuns. The ceremony began with the exhortation of the father abbot, delivered with solemn energy. Then the novice kneeling before him made her profession, for which Vivaldi listened with intense attention, but it was delivered in such low and trembling accents that he could not ascertain even the tone. But during the anthem that mingled with the ensuing part of the service, he thought he distinguished the voice of Elena, that touching and well-known voice, which in the church of San Lorenzo had first attracted his attention. He listened, scarcely daring to draw breath, lest he should lose a note, and again he fancied her voice spoke in a part of the plaintive response delivered by the nuns. Vivaldi endeavoured to command his emotion, and to await with patience some further unfolding of the truth, but when the priest prepared to withdraw the white veil from the face of the novice, and throw the black one over her, a dreadful expectation that she was Elena seized him, and he with difficulty forbore stepping forward and discovering himself on the instant. The veil was at length withdrawn, and a very lovely face appeared, but not Elena's. Vivaldi breathed again and waited with tolerable composure for the conclusion of the ceremony, till in the solemn strain that followed the putting on of the black veil, he heard again the voice, which he was now convinced was hers. Its accents were low and mournful and tremulous, yet his heart acknowledged instantaneously their magic influence. When this ceremony was concluded, another began, and he was told it was that of a noviciation, a young woman supported by two nuns advanced to the altar, and Vivaldi thought he beheld Elena. The priest was beginning the customary exhortation, when she lifted her half-veil, and showing a countenance where meek sorrow was mingled with heavenly sweetness, raised her blue eyes, all bathed in tears, and waved her hand as if she would have spoken. It was Elena herself. The priest attempted to proceed. "'I protest in the presence of this congregation,' she said solemnly, "'that I am brought hither to pronounce vows which my heart disclaims. I protest—' of confusion of voices interrupted her, and at the same instant she perceived Vivaldi rushing towards the altar. Elena gazed for a moment, and then, stretching forth her supplicating hands towards him, closed her eyes and sunk into the arms of some persons round her, who vainly endeavoured to prevent him from approaching and assisting her. The anguish with which he bent over her lifeless form and called upon her name, excited the commiseration even of the nuns, and especially of Olivia, the most assiduous in efforts to revive her young friend. When Elena unclosed her eyes, and looking up, once more beheld Vivaldi, the expression with which she regarded him told that her heart was unchanged, and that she was unconscious of the miseries of imprisonment while he was with her. She desired to withdraw, and, assisted by Vivaldi and Olivia, was leaving the church when the abbess ordered that she should be attended by the nuns only, and, retiring from the altar, she gave directions that the young stranger 
should be conducted to the parlour of the convent. Vivaldi, though he refused to obey an imperious command, yielded to the entreaties of Elena, and to the gentle remonstrances of Olivia, and, bidding Elena farewell for a while, he repaired to the parlour of the abbess. He was not without some hope of awakening her to a sense of justice or of pity, but he found that her notions of right were inexorably against him, and that pride and resentment usurped the influence of every other feeling. She began her lecture with expressing the warm friendship she had so long cherished for the Marchesa, proceeded to lament that the son of a friend, whom she so highly esteemed, should have forgotten his duty to his parents, and the observance due to the dignity of his house. So far as to seek connection with the person of Elena de Rosalba's inferior station, and concluded with a severe reprimand for having disturbed the tranquillity of the convent and the decorum of the church by his intrusion. Vivaldi listened with submitting patience to this mention of morals and decorum from a person who, with the most perfect self-applause, was violating some of the plainest obligations of humanity and justice who had conspired to tear an orphan from her home, and who designed to deprive her for life of liberty, with all the blessings it inherits. But when she proceeded to speak of Elena with the auspice of severe reprobation, and to hint at the punishment which her public rejection of the vows had incurred, the patience of Vivaldi submitted no longer, indignation and contempt rose high against the superior, and he exhibited a portrait of herself in the strong colours of truth. But the mind which compassion could not persuade, reason could not appall. Selfishness had hardened it alike to the influence of each. Her pride only was affected, and she retaliated the mortification she suffered by menace and denunciation. Vivaldi, on quitting her apartment, had no other resource than an application to the abate, whose influence at least, if not his authority, might assuage the severity of her power. In this abate a mildness of temper and a gentleness of manner were qualities of less value than is usually and deservedly imputed to them. For being connected with feebleness of mind, they were but the pleasing merits of easy times, which, in an hour of difficulty, never assumed the character of virtues, by inducing him to serve those for whom he might feel. And thus, with a temper and disposition directly opposite to those of the severe and violent abbess, he was equally selfish and almost equally culpable, since, by permitting evil, he was nearly as injurious in his conduct as those who planned it. Indolence and timidity, a timidity the consequence of want of clear perception, deprived him of all energy of character. He was prudent rather than wise, and so fearful of being thought to do wrong that he seldom did right. To Vivaldi's temperate representations and earnest entreaties that he would exert some authority towards liberating Elena, he listened with patience, acknowledged the hardships of her situation, lamented the unhappy divisions between Vivaldi and his family, and then declined advancing a single step in so delicate an affair. Signora di Rosalba, he said, was in the care of the abbess, over whom he had no right of control in matters relative to her domestic concerns. Vivaldi then supplicated that, though he possessed no authority, he would at least intercede or remonstrate 
against so unjust a procedure as that of detaining Elena a prisoner, and assist in restoring her to her home, from which she had been forcibly carried. "'And this again,' replied the abate, "'does not come within my jurisdiction, and I make it a rule never to encroach upon that of another person.' "'And can you endure, Holy Father,' said Vivaldi, "'to witness a flagrant act of injustice, and not endeavour to counteract it, "'not even step forward to rescue the victim, "'when you perceive the preparation for the sacrifice? "'I repeat that I never interfere with the authority of others,' replied the superior. "'Having asserted my own, I yield to them in their sphere, "'the obedience which I require in mine.' Is power, then, said Vivaldi, the infallible test of justice? Is it morality to obey where the command is criminal? The whole world have a claim upon the fortitude, the active fortitude, of those who are placed as you are, between the alternative of confirming a wrong by your consent, or preventing it by your resistance. Would that your heart expanded towards that world, reverend father! "'Would that the whole world were wrong, "'that you might have the glory of setting it right,' "'said the abate, smiling. "'Young man, you are an enthusiast, and I pardon you. "'You are a knight of chivalry "'who would go about the earth fighting with everybody "'by way of proving your right to do good. "'It is unfortunate that you have borne somewhat too late.' "'Enthusiasm in the cause of humanity,' said Vivaldi, "'but he checked himself.' and despairing of touching a heart so hardened by selfish prudence, and indignant at beholding an apathy so vicious in its consequence, he left the abate without other effort. He perceived that he must now have recourse to further stratagem, a recourse which his frank and noble mind detested, but he had already tried without success every other possibility of rescuing the innocent victim of the Marchese's prejudice and pride. Elena, meanwhile, had retired to her cell, agitated by a variety of considerations and contrary emotions, of which, however, those of joy and tenderness were long predominant. Then came anxiety, apprehension, pride and doubt, to divide and torture her heart. It was true that Vivaldi had discovered her prison, but, if it were possible that he could release her, she must consent to quit it with him, a step from which a mind so tremblingly jealous of propriety as hers recoiled with alarm, though it would deliver her from captivity. And how, when she considered the haughty character of the Marchese di Vivaldi, the imperious and vindictive nature of the Marchesa, and still more their united repugnance of a connection with her, how could she endure to think, even for a moment, of intruding herself into such a family, Pride, delicacy, good sense, seemed to warn her against the conduct so humiliating and vexatious in its consequences, and to exhort her to preserve her own dignity by independence. But the esteem, the friendship, the tender affection which she had cherished for Vivaldi made her pause and shrink with emotions of little less than horror from the eternal renunciation which so dignified a choice required. Though the encouragement which her deceased relative had given to this attachment seemed to impart to it a sacred character, that considerably soothed the alarmed delicacy of Elena. The approbation thus implied had no power to silence her own objections, and she would have regretted the mistaken zeal 
which had contributed to lead her into the present distressing situation, had she revered the memory of her aunt or loved Vivaldi less. Still, however, the joy which his presence had occasioned, and which the consciousness that he was still near her had prolonged, was not subdued, though it was frequently obscured by such anxious considerations. With jealous and indiscreet solicitude, she now recollected every look, and the accent of every word, which had told that his affection was undiminished, thus seeking with inconsistent zeal for a conviction of the very tenderness which but a moment before she had thought it prudent to lament, and almost necessary to renounce. She awaited with extreme anxiety the appearance of Olivia, who might probably know the result of Vivaldi's conference with the abbess, and whether he was yet in the convent. In the evening Olivia came, a messenger of evil, and Elena, informed of the conduct of the abbess, and the consequent departure of Vivaldi, perceived all her courage, all the half-formed resolutions which a consideration of his family had suggested, falter and expire. Sensible only of grief and despondency, she ascertained for the first time the extent of her affection and the severity of her situation. She perceived also that the injustice which his family had exercised towards her absolved her from all consideration of their displeasure, otherwise than as it might affect herself, but this was a conviction which it were now probably useless to admit. Olivia not only expressed the tenderest interest in her welfare, but seemed deeply affected with her situation, and whether it was that the nun's misfortune bore some resemblance to Elena's, or from whatever cause, it is remarkable that her eyes were often filled with tears while she regarded her young friend, and she betrayed so much emotion that Elena noticed it with surprise. She was, however, too delicate to hint any curiosity on the subject, and too much engaged by a nearer interest to dwell long upon the circumstance. When Olivia withdrew, Elena retired to her turret, to soothe her spirits with a view of serene and majestic nature, a recourse which seldom failed to elevate her mind, and soften the asperities of affliction. It was to her like sweet and solemn music, breathing peace over the soul, like the oaten stop of Milton's spirit, who, with his soft pipe and smooth ditted song, well knew to still the wild winds when they roar, and hush the waving woods. While she sat before a window, observing the evening light beaming up the valley, and touching all the distant mountains with misty purple, a reed as sweet, though not as fanciful, sounded from among the rocks below. The instrument, and the character of the strain, were such as she had been accustomed to hear within the walls of San Stefano, and the tone diffused over her spirits a pleasing melancholy that wrapped all her attention. The liquid cadence, as it trembled and sunk away, seemed to tell the dejection of no vulgar feelings, and the exquisite taste with which the complaining notes were again swelled almost convinced her that the musician was Vivaldi. On looking from the lattice, she perceived a person perched on a point of the cliff below, whither it appeared almost impractical for any human step to have climbed, and preserved from the precipice only by some dwarf shrubs that fringed the brow. 
the twilight did not permit her immediately to ascertain whether it was Vivaldi, and the situation was so dangerous that she hoped it was not he. Her doubts were removed when, looking up, he perceived Elena, and she heard his voice. Vivaldi had learned from a lay brother of the convent, whom Paolo had bribed, and who, when he worked in the garden, had sometimes seen Elena at the window, that she frequented this remote turret, and at the hazard of his life he had now ventured thither with a hope of conversing with her. Elena, alarmed at his tremendous situation, refused to listen to him, but he would not leave the spot till he had communicated a plan concerted for her escape, and, entreating that she would confide herself to his care, assured her that she would be conducted wherever she judged proper. It appeared that the brother had consented to assist his views, in consideration of an ample reward, and to admit him within the walls on this evening, when, in his pilgrim's habit, he might have an opportunity of again seeing Elena. He conjured her to attend, if possible, in the convent parlour during supper, explaining in a few words the motive for this request and the substance of the following particulars. The Lady Abbess, in observance of the custom upon high festivals, gave a collation to the Padre Abate, and such of the priests as had assisted at the Vesper service. A few strangers of distinction and pilgrims were also to partake of the entertainments of this night, among which was included a concert to be performed by the nuns. At the collation which was to be displayed, a profusion of delicacies arranged by the sisters, who had been busy in preparing the pastry and confectionery during several days, and who excelled in these articles no less than in embroidery and other ingenious arts. This supper was to be given in the abbess's outer parlour, while she herself, attended by some nuns of high rank and a few favourites, was to have a table in the inner apartment, where, separated only by the grate, she could partake of the conversation of the Holy Fathers. The tables were to be ornamented with artificial flowers, and a variety of other fanciful devices, upon which the ingenuity of the sisters had been long employed, who prepared for these festivals with as much vanity, and expected them to dissipate the gloomy monotony of their usual life, with as much eagerness of delight as a young beauty anticipates the first ball. On this evening, therefore, every member of the convent would be engaged either by amusement or business, and to Vivaldi, who had been careful to inform himself of these circumstances, it would be easy, with the assistance of the brother, to obtain admittance and mingle himself among the spectators, disguised in his pilgrim's habit. He entreated, therefore, that Elena would contrive to be in the abbess's apartment this evening, when he would endeavour to convey to her some further particulars of the plan of escape, and would have mules in waiting at the foot of the mountain to conduct her to the Villa Altieri, or to the neighbouring convent of the Santa della Pieta. Vivaldi secretly hoped that she might be prevailed with to give him her hand on quitting San Stevano, but he forbore to mention this hope, lest it should be mistaken for a condition, and that Elena might be either reluctant to accept his assistance, or, accepting it, might consider herself bound to grant a hasty consent. To his mention of escape she listened with varying emotion, at one moment attending to it with hope and joy, 
as promising her only chance of liberation from an imprisonment which was probably intended to last for her life, and of restoring her to Vivaldi, and at another recoiling from the thought of departing with him while his family was so decidedly adverse to their marriage. Thus unable to form any instant resolution on the subject, and entreating that he would leave his dangerous station before the thickening twilight should increase the hazard of his descent, Elena added that she would endeavour to obtain admittance to the apartment of the abbess, and to acquaint him with her final determination. Vivaldi understood all the delicacy of her scruples, and though they afflicted him, he honoured the good sense and just pride that suggested them. He lingered on the rock till the last moments of departing light, and then, with a heart fluttering with hopes and fears, bade Elena farewell, and descended. While she watched his progress through the silent gloom, faintly distinguished him gliding along ledges of the precipice, and making his adventurous way from cliff to cliff, till the winding thickets concealed him from her view. Still anxious, she remained at the lattice, but he appeared no more. No voice announced disaster, and at length she returned to her cell to deliberate on the subject of her departure. Her considerations were interrupted by Olivia, whose manner indicated something extraordinary. The usual tranquillity of her countenance was gone, and an air of grief mingled with apprehension appeared there. Before she spoke, she examined the passage and looked around the cell. "'It is as I feared,' she said abruptly. "'My suspicions are justified. "'And you, my child, are sacrificed, "'unless it were possible for you to quit the convent this night.' "'What is it that you mean?' said the alarmed Elena. "'I have just learned,' resumed the nun, "'that your conduct this morning, which is understood to have thrown "'a premeditated insult upon the abbess, "'is to be punished with what they call imprisonment. "'Alas, why should I soften the truth with what I believe is death itself, "'for whoever returned alive from that hideous chamber?' "'With death?' said Elena, aghast. "'Oh, heavens, how have I deserved death?' "'That is not the question, my daughter, but how you may avoid it. "'Within the deepest recesses of our convent is a stone chamber, "'secured by doors of iron, "'to which such of the sisterhood as have been guilty of any heinous offence "'have from time to time been consigned. "'This condemnation admits of no reprieve. "'The unfortunate captive is left to languish in chains and darkness.' receiving only an allowance of bread and water just sufficient to prolong her sufferings, till nature at length, sinking under their intolerable pressure, obtains refuge in death. Our records relate several instances of such horrible punishment, which has generally been inflicted upon nuns who, weary of the life which they have chosen under the first illusions of the imagination, or which they have been compelled to accept by the rigour or avarice of parents, have been detected in escaping from the convent. The nun paused, but Elena remained wrapped in silent thought. She resumed, One miserable instance of this severity has occurred within my memory. I saw the wretched victim enter that apartment, never more to quit it alive. I saw also her poor remains laid at rest in the convent garden. During nearly two years she languished upon a bed of straw. 
denied even the poor consolation of conversing through the grate with such of the sisters as pitied her and who of us was there that did not pity her a severe punishment was threatened to those who should approach with any compassionate intention thank god i incurred it and i endured it also with secret triumph a gleam of satisfaction passed over olivia's countenance as she spoke this it was the sweetest that elena had ever observed there with a sympathetic emotion she threw herself on the bosom of the nun and wept for some moments they were both silent olivia at length said do you not believe my child that the officious and offended abbess will readily seize upon the circumstances of your disobedience as a pretence for confining you in that fatal chamber the wishes of the marchesa will thus surely be accomplished without the difficulty of exacting your obedience to the vows alas i have received proof too absolute of her intention and that to-morrow is assigned as the day of your sacrifice you may perhaps be thankful that the business of the festival has obliged her to defer executing the sentence even till to-morrow elena replied only with a groan as her head still drooped upon the shoulder of the nun she was not now hesitating whether to accept the assistance of vivaldi but desponding lest his utmost efforts for her deliverance should be in vain olivia who mistook the cause of her silence added other hints i could give which are strong as they are dreadful but i will forbear tell me how it is possible i may assist you i am willing to incur a second punishment in endeavouring to relieve a second sufferer elena's tears flowed fast at this new instance of the nun's generosity but if they should discover you in assisting me to leave the convent she said in a voice convulsed by her gratitude oh if they should discover you i can ascertain the punishment olivia replied with firmness and do not fear to meet it how nobly generous this is said the weeping elena i ought not to suffer you to be thus careless of yourself my conduct is not wholly disinterested the nun modestly replied for i think i could endure any punishment with more fortitude than the sickening anguish of beholding such suffering as i have witnessed what are bodily pains in comparison with the subtle the exquisite tortures of the mind heaven knows i can support my own afflictions but not the view of those of others when they are excessive the instruments of torture i believe i could endure if my spirit was invigorated with the consciousness of a generous purpose but pity touches upon a nerve that vibrates instantly to the heart and subdues resistance yes my child the agony of pity is keener than any other except that of remorse and even in remorse it is perhaps the mingling unavailing pity that points the sting but while i am indulging this egotism i am perhaps increasing your danger of the suffering i deprecate elena thus encouraged by the generous sympathy of olivia mentioned vivaldi's purpose visit of this evening and consulted with her on the probability of procuring admittance for herself to the abbess's parlour reanimated by this intelligence olivia advised her to repair not only to the supper-room but to attend the previous concert to which several strangers would be admitted among whom might probably be vivaldi 
when to this elena objected her dread of the abbess's observation and of the immediate seclusion that would follow olivia soothed her fears of discovery by offering her the disguise of a nun's veil and promising not only to conduct her to the apartment but to afford her every possible assistance towards her escape among the crowd of nuns who will attend you in that spacious apartment olivia added it is improbable you would be distinguished even if the sisters were less occupied by amusement and the abbess were at leisure to scrutinize as it is you will hazard little danger of discovery the superior if she thinks of you at all will believe that you are still a prisoner in your cell but this is an evening of too much importance to her vanity for any consideration distinct from that emotion to divide her attention let hope therefore support you my child and do you prepare a few lines to acquaint vivaldi with your consent to his proposal and with the urgency of your circumstances you may perhaps find an opportunity of conveying them through the grate they were still conversing on this subject when a particular chime sounded which olivia said summoned the nuns to the concert-room and she immediately hastened for a black veil while elena wrote the few lines that were necessary for vivaldi End of chapter 11